And we're back to Heart Fails 73. This isn't a Bible study. No, it's a couple of guys talking about Jesus. Correct. At least that sounds good to me. However, it's my belief that every conversation should be an open Bible study. Sure. We don't know each other very well. Nope. But we're in the process. Absolutely. Excellent. Tommy's not here today. That's him right now. That's him. When you hear that buzz, that is Tommy. He knows that he's being talked about. Yes, he does. My idea for these was to have more of a theological discussion. Because I was telling Tommy the last time we recorded, I was telling him this wasn't a theological discussion per se. Right. Everybody's heard me proclaim the gospel several times. Right. Don't want to put you on the spot. But, but you're going to anyway. I'm but. going to ask you to proclaim the gospel. In what way? What do you want to, I mean, like, that's kind of like proclaim the gospel. Proclaim that Jesus died on the cross for me, for you, for all of us. That, I mean, when you say the gospel, that there's, it's a pretty broad term. What you do got, I, be, are you asking me what I believe? I'm saying you got 30 seconds. <laughs> Somebody's bleeding out. They've never heard the gospel before. Wow, 30 seconds. This no, you is got, like the you end got. of God is dead when he's laying on the street. Oh, yeah, Kevin okay. Sorbo, right? Yeah, right. So, you know that thing inside you that always that, that always is longing to know why you exist or what you were here for? We were here to love Jesus because he loved you. This guy, 2,000 years ago, knew you existed and chose to take your soul and save it. In a way that you can't understand in the natural mind. But your insides know. The feelings in your body know that somebody did something for you out of love. And that you're important and valued enough that he wants to spend the next part of your existence with you for all of eternity. Which you can't possibly understand the concept of eternity because none of us can. Save me from what? Yourself. From who? From yourself. From your own bad decisions, from your own inability to always be perfect, from your, we call it sin, our disobedience to God, but you have to know the word. And if I only have 30 seconds to tell you how you're going to live in the next transition of life, of your existence life, then I can't get into the details of that. I have to, you have to trust me. You have to trust that thing inside you. I'm getting better. I think I have another minute. Why? Save me from what? I said yourself, your sins. Because people don't understand the concept of sins if they don't understand God. What's the argument? The argument is, well, why do I need to be saved? Why can't I just be me? What is my sin? I, I'm not sin. I'm not doing anything wrong. I don't kill people. I don't, I don't have sex with my neighbor's wife. I live a good life. Why, why am I a sinner? Because God says I am? That So sin is defined by somebody else's standard? I think I'm all right. And heck, I'm going to die. Right? This is the attitude of a lot of people. I'm going to die and that's it. When I die, it's just over. But we know that it's not. There's so many of us that know that it's not just over. The longest living text in existence is the Bible. I don't know if that's exactly true, but it sounds true to me, it's so I'll say true. it. That didn't come from just random writers. right? It had to be inspired by somewhere. Even if it, a man put the pen to the ink, it had to come from somewhere. The guy that wrote The Hobbit, it didn't just show up on paper, right? He had, to, um, he had to have inspiration to write that thing. The Bible was inspired by God. So it helps us to understand what sin is. You have to read it. You have to think about it. You have to 
talk to somebody about it and no better person to talk to than the creator. And if you really honestly open your heart to listen, you will hear something. Do you hear an audible voice? I don't know. I've never heard an audible voice of God. I would love to. I ask him all the time. Come on, do it. Make it that real for me. And maybe I will someday. But until then, that still small voice, that check I get in my chest, like when I have a feeling that like, I know this is right or I know this is wrong. That's how I know it's real. It's that feeling I get every Sunday morning when I'm like, I'm done with all this. I'm not going to church again. It doesn't do any good. I go there and cry and I get this thing inside me that says, now you need to get dressed. It's time to go to church that just won't let go of me. And then I get there and I feel good, right? I hear something or something speaks to me. I know it's real. Is it only on Sundays? It's only when I let it. And that doesn't mean I have, yeah, it doesn't mean I have control over it. It means, but to a certain extent, I can block God just like I can block out my girlfriend. I can block out you. If I don't want to hear what you have to say, no matter how much you talk to me, I cannot listen to a word. But if I'm just open, if I just allow myself to be open and honest and say, you know what? I want to hear something, right? Not that I want to hear what, what I want to hear, meaning like only things that make me feel good. But if I'm just open to listening and not with my ears, but with my heart, I can hear God when you speak. I can hear God when my boss speaks. I can hear God with anybody. So I choose never to turn it off. I think it's intentional when we don't hear from God. So it's, is it just on Sundays? No, but I'm not always open to listening. Wait, I just, that's contradictory to what I just said. If I choose to not be open to it, like when I go to work, I'm listening to my Bible app and somebody does something and makes me mad, I actually will turn the Bible app off because all of a sudden now it's God's fault. Not really, but you know, I just don't want to hear anything positive. I want to hear something negative. You're, you've lost your focus. I've lost my, yeah, that's a good way to put it. And once I lose my focus, it takes a while to get back into it. That's where I use praise and worship music because okay. that always helps me. But Why did Jesus need to die? He said he, need? He, saved, <laughs> he saved me. I, yeah. am, I am the dying person right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. Why did Jesus need to die? That's the way God set it up to do this for us. Jesus died to pay the price. That The ultimate price for our saving, for our sin, for our rec- reconciliation of the relationship with God that was created in the beginning is death. Somebody has to die. They did sacrifices in the Old Testament of animals, which would be so much easier today, especially if you're rich, right? Just buy a couple hundred sheep. I'm good every night when I go to bed. But it doesn't work that way because Jesus paid the price. Man's body that God said, if we do this, not if, because we did, but in that con, in my thinking, if we do this, then it's going to be all right. And that re- relationship will be reconciled if we choose it. We still have free will. He didn't take that away. So he didn't need to, he chose to, because Jesus still had a choice. He didn't have to obey the Father. I think that's a misconception that he had no, that it was uh, prophesied. Sure, but he still had a choice. At one point in a garden, he said, God, take this away from me, right? He was weeping. He didn't really want to do it. I think for a second, he was a little bit, I venture to say a little bit afraid or a little bit like, wow, this is heavy. Take this cup from me. But if it's your will, let it be done. So, and I, I, I love quoting scripture. At the same time, I think sometimes it can sound a bit religious, and and I want to be relatable, and I don't want to be oh that guy. So, what's the difference between religious and relatable? Relationships. Relationships. I think religious is all the rules, just like the Pharisees, or like the the way some people and places put before this image of what it's supposed to look like, 
And I've never had a single relationship that's ever followed a stereotypical thing, right? First marriage, second marriage, completely different. Girlfriends, friendships, relationships with guys, girls, children, all different. There is no, and I feel like religion tries to define it according to a, like A, B, C, D. And I just don't think that's possible. But I think people try, and that's religion. Go to church on Sunday. Don't ever cuss. And if you do, that's it. It's over. Or whatever that looks like. That's all religious to me. Where if I just having a bad day and I say, God, you got to do something. I look over, I'm driving down the street, right? Literally driving down the street. I look at my passenger side of my car and I said, you got to drive. I can't do this anymore. I look like I'm talking to somebody. I'm thankful for Bluetooth. That way people don't think I'm completely crazy. So does that answer your question to need? Yeah. I got one more minute before I die. Okay. I like it. I'm actually a Buddhist. So I'm good. Thanks. I'm not buying what you're selling. Oh, I'm sorry. I guess we're not going to see each other later then, are we? <laughs> That's well, a bold statement. To that say is. That I'm you, just... are, you are the purveyor that only you know the way to eternal life. Yeah. It's a very I would... bold statement. If someone says, yeah, I'm this or I'm that, and it doesn't matter. I don't know. They're Buddhist. They're Muslim. Uh, because I firmly believe in what I believe. I hate to tell somebody you're wrong, but at the same time, I have to go, what has, what comfort do you have in that? What, what guarantees, what, what, uh, trust, what is there about your Buddhism that tells you you're going to heaven? I mean, I'm not fully versed in Buddhism, but isn't that a man? Wasn't that founded on a, a principle created by a person that doesn't even claim to be inspired by anything that is other than his own thoughts where he thought you could strive to be the best person that you could possibly be right and if you accomplished this then you would then rise above everything which means you're putting all your stock in yourself and i want love to meet there's only one person i know of that's ever been perfect I have yet to meet anybody else. So that person that can rise above, as you say, um, I would be very interested in meeting them and asking them, how do you do it? How do you never lust? And I'm not talking about just sex. I'm talking about money. I'm talking about how do you not fear? How do you not stress? How do you not want things that aren't yours? You know, uh, how do you not get angry and want to murder? Or, okay, so not everybody thinks of murder, just me. But how do you not get angry and feel violent, right? Because it's a natural feeling, a fight or flight kind of thing, right? They say, they, whoever they are, say that's a natural feeling. Well, how do you overcome all that to be perfect? And and why is your definition of perfect any better than mine? I feel a little life left in me still. Okay, so I get it. you're 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 very strong in your faith for Jesus. That's great that it works for you. And that's fine. You can let that work for you. You believe what you want to believe, and I will believe what I want to believe. Now, but you can't tell me that I'm wrong. I won't tell you that you're wrong, but you can't tell me that I'm wrong as well. No, you're right. I can't tell you you're wrong. I can tell you that if you search your soul and you sit down and do your own, if you weren't going to die in another 72 seconds and took the time to actually compare and spend time with what I believe, 
you can't tell me that it's not real. You can't, you'll never find anything to validate or cause disbelief. It's been tried over hundreds of years. People have tried to disprove the existence of God and the motives of God and miracles that have happened. And you can't, it's not scientifically possible. They've tried. They can make babies in tubes. They can't create life. They can't do the the one thing, that spark that actually creates the being of a person. So to try and say that that's not real, quite frankly, I, I border on this at this point of getting angry because I have to control my emotions, saying you're just ludicrous, you're just crazy, you're just you're not choosing to be at least open to it and weigh out the facts. And then, you know, I'm sorry, I, I extend my prayers and empathy to you. And I wish you the best of luck with your belief system. Uh, and when you're ready to get some education and just take an open heart to learn, you don't have to believe me, learn, teach yourself. And then I think you would be transformed. And I'm dead. Okay. No, you did well. You did very well. You died. I, I died. Like mouth to mouth didn't work. And you get to go off and cuss as much as you want to. <laughs> right. This is how, I mean, you kind of you kind of have mentioned several times, Tommy and I grew up in a religious environment, in a mm-hmm. church environment. We've he- heard the gospel our entire lives. Being around that our entire lives, unfortunately, that's not an exercise that people do. That's not something that people actually are put into a position to do or necessarily that they want to do. They don't necessarily know how to share their faith with somebody. Okay. That's kind of where I'm going with this. I, back before I was a Christian, I can remember how I was. I was able to have arguments with people and say, I'm right and you're wrong and point out specific things. Well, what about this? What about that? What about the platypus? What about whatever kind of thing? And I was able to have an argument and I was able to have that self righteousness that comes along with I'm right and you're wrong. The funny thing is, is that the world now has taken that I'm right and you're wrong and changed it to that's fine. You're right. I'm also right. 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 That's (laughs) the most difficult thing to actually recognize about those that we know and love. Agreed. Is that they might say that they believe similar to what we believe, but when you actually start asking them questions, and I'm a big person about questions. I love to ask people questions. Even if I think they completely agree with me, I will play the, I can't think of another phrase, the devil's advocate to ask them, okay, well, have you thought about this? What about this? What about that? Because I want to learn. I actually want to know what's in Jim's head. By the way, if anybody hasn't figured out today, I can't remember if we've said it earlier, but this is oh. Adam and Jim here today. Yeah, hi. I think we did mention that Tommy wasn't here today. But we, yeah, we mentioned him, but we didn't but we mention, never who, mentioned we are. who we are. Heart fails 73. See you next week. Yeah, bye. No, um, we're, we are going to keep this one shorter, though, because I, I don't know exactly what these are yet. I wanted to do something kind of different than what Tommy and I are doing. So growing up in a religious environment, in Christianity specifically, Mm -hmm. I am from the viewpoint of I wasn't a Christian despite growing up in this environment. And that's one of those things that I'm not going to know for sure 
until whenever. Neither one of, of us are, though. You can't. I can look back at evidences. So that's where I go to. I go to the evidence of my life and what made me get up every morning. And there was long periods of time where it wasn't God. It wasn't at all. You can't. I don't believe this whole you're right, I'm right. No, I don't think that's true. I think because you had this core knowledge, right? You had this thing. You had a praying mother, right? If I'm understanding your the no. briefness history of you, no. your parents were not a part of the church when you were. No, they were. Right. We went to private All Christian you, school. What about from, your first four years before school? Did your parents go to church? Were you? We were went you to church from the day you were born. That's the extent. So you've there was heard. no there was no even praying with meals. There was no Bible studies. There was nothing. In this house. Because it's a spiritual thing. I still think there's something there. In my house, God was never, there wasn't a cross on the wall. There was never, a, I don't remember seeing a Bible in my house. Collecting dust even. Right? So just the fact that you went to, uh, whatever you call it, children's ministry, daycare, whatever they called it. I like children's ministry. From the time you were a toddler you were getting these tiny, tiny, tiny seeds. Whether it was demonstrated more or not, there was something. Something equals more. As it adds up, it adds up. So you had that from... So whether you got up in the morning, somewhere in your heart, you knew that you knew because it was in you from the very... I mean, it was in me from God. But I never, until I was 14, had a single thing, a single moment where somebody said, Jesus... That kind of thing, right? Never in a way that was meant to be this guy or the savior or this nothing. You've always had it. The only time you heard Jesus was in a blasphemous way. That was the word I was trying to think there of. There we go. Because I'm, yeah. I'm going to cut that out, even though I know you didn't mean it. That's fine. Per se. Many people will say to me, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name? Do we not worship in your name? And I will say to them, I never knew you. This is why I'm doing this podcast in general. This is why I am very open and very bold about talking to everybody about it. So you're making up for lost time? No, not at all. Okay. I have a duty. Sure. I am. We all do. I, I need to be a good and faithful servant. I need to take the treasures that God has blessed me with. And I need to utilize them rather than burying it in the ground or sticking it in a drawer or hiding it in the closet. I think to continue my point from earlier, so many people that I know, friends, family, whatever kind of people, there's an apathy in their Christianity. I'm in. I'm good. I can live my life in full assurance and not worry about anything. And the Bible has a lot to say about those types of people. And I was one of those people. Somewhere in Revelation, something about lukewarm? We get spit out. Just saying. First, John will be the next thing that we talk about. Anything else to add on this kind of thought here before I chop it up? No, I think there's more to explore. I think a little more thought out conversation about our different 
perspectives from growing up with and without because I think that there's something there. I think there's a lot of topics we can this. Sorry, short answers. No. You are Jim. I'm Jim. All day, every day. I am Adam. Hi, Adam. Hello. Is your wife Eve? I have heard that about 20,000 times. And one. In my life. But I get it. Hmm. You know. Sometimes people just, they just want to say something. Well, considering your whole I love Jesus thing, Adam, it just kind of falls naturally. I like how it's my thing. <laughs> my whole your... I love Jesus yeah. thing. Yeah, this is you. It's for anyone. No, but it's still you. It is definitely me. You can't deny that. We did in my family devotion this morning, and or not devotion, family worship is what we call it. We're going through 1 John. And when's the last time you read 1 John? A long time ago. 1 John is awesome. I want Tommy to read the Gospel of John. I want him to read Romans. And then I want him to read 1 John. That's kind of the order of the New Testament that I would recommend to anybody. 1 John is awesome because it's five chapters. You can read it in one sitting. Sure. If you really want to, you could also spend a whole year studying it. Agreed. That is how incredible God's Word is. The reason I want to talk about it now, you kind of came into Christianity through a mega church. Is that a fair statement? Yes. Okay. Did they use God is love often? For some reason, when you say it specifically like that, I want to say no, but I don't, but my conscience doesn't agree with the answer of no. Like, they did in the in the sense that all of this is because God loves us, right? Everything, whether it's blessings in our life, whether it's people, God, the definition of God, God is love, God is agape. That was a word that was used quite often there, the okay. God kind of love. The reason I bring it up is because as far as biblically speaking, God is love. That is found in 1 John chapter 4. <laughs> Come on, you can't look. You got to know. 19. All right. Wrong. Failed. We love because he first loved us is 19. Eight. It's the second part of eight, actually. God. Because God is love. For God is love. That's what mine says. Excellent. I'm rocking the ESV. NKJV. New King James Version for non-acronym people. There's a thing called the Bible Project that's pretty, actually, it's awesome. It's really well done. It's animation. They give an overview of the books of the Bible or a, um, a, or a, a topic. Their overview video of 1 John pretty much boiled down to God is love. And that's true. But the reason I always take issue with this is because that's not the only thing God is. God is so much more than just a narrow viewpoint of love. Now, let me elaborate on that. Please do. 1 John 4, where it says, Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. This comes right after the whole section that talks about testing the spirits. This comes after loving one another, talking about living in sin, defining what children of God are, warning against false teachers. Gosh, I forgot how good first John warning is. Warning about how 
We are not supposed to be of the world. We are in the world, but we are not supposed to be of the world. The book starts talking in the similar way that John does in his gospel, that which was from the beginning. Right. And then it defines God is light. That's the very beginning of the letter, the very beginning. Some people don't even consider this a letter. They consider this more of a sermon as compared to his other two epistles, which are obviously written to people. Directly, This is more of a broad sermon given to the children of God. He keeps on calling them beloved. In in chapter 2, he says, my children. So implying that it's not a specific sect or group. Gentile, Jew, whatever, it's to everybody. Yeah. Sorry, just wanted to interject. This is why I'm bringing it up. You hear God is love all the time. When's the last time you heard God is light? Depends on your circle, but generally you don't. You don't. The modern, I have to just be blunt, the modern feel-good megachurch Come and have a great time. I came from a church most recently that I left willingly. Nobody forced me to leave. I willingly took my family out of this church. Because? I spent two years night and day with tears. That's not factually accurate, but I did say this to a pastor. Night and day with tears. We need to be encouraging and going to God's word and doing everything we can to be focused on the word of God and glorifying God rather than getting together and having a potluck fellowship. There's nothing wrong with a potluck fellowship. There's nothing wrong with getting together and having community time You know, sit around after church, stand around after church and talk to your friends and family that are there. Definitely. But I was told by a councilman, you know what, Adam, if you want to have a devotion before different things, that's fine. You know, take five minutes to have a devotion and whatnot. But we need people in this parking lot. We need fun things going on in this church. And that's what's going on is people are looking at the mega churches And they're seeing their playbook of don't make people feel bad necessarily. Give them a good time. Give them an uplifting message. Show them that, yes, we know you're struggling with different things, but we're going to help you get over those things. From a certain extent, they might even say Jesus or God will help you get over those things. That's a very man-centered message where I'm coming from. Because our life on this earth, if we truly are Christian, is not going to be an easy life. No, the word tells you you're going to have troubles. Correct. Is that what a lot of churches are telling people, though? Are they telling them, you will be hated by your friends, by your family? Absolutely. Excellent. What do you got? The word will, I mean, the word says. Uh, I'm not talking about the word. I, I agree well, with the it, word. It says that we'll re- the world will reject us and stuff. And to a certain extent, part of what comes to mind when you say those things is, 
Because I'm, I'm about a 50-50 in the middle because I see what you're saying. I see where there needs to be some real, true, heart-defined devotion to God. At the same time, how do you compete in this world with trying to get people to a place where they're open to hear about this love that God has? The world offers so many things that appeals to every one of our senses. We all carry around these little mini machines in our hands and our pockets that we never let go of that can offer us every satisfaction mentally and physically that we possibly can want. Notice I didn't say spiritually. And to get to that point, we have to do something. So I think to a certain extent, offering up front the church's job and this is an opinion, I want to preface that, this is definitely an opinion, is to get them, come on in, let's feel good. It's the people's job. It's the Christians, and in case that I like to try to transition my life to, the disciples' job to get people to do what you're asking. I don't think in this day and age that you can have one without the other. I think the church is the tool, right? It's not the four walls, it's not the building, it's not the steeple anymore. The pastor is the is the teacher that, that gives you the message, but I think it's our neighbor in our, our row or our seat or in our small group's responsibility. It's my responsibility sitting next to the guy down the row who I know, I've seen him at social events because we kind of run in the same circles because our lives are somewhat entwined, that he's doing something. It's my responsibility to go to him and say, hey, let's have a talk. You know, I'm not I'm not judging you, but what do you think about what God says about what you're doing? Or is that honoring to your wife, which which displaces the activity of God in your heart? And it's having those conversations with people and getting to know them. And then say, let's go pray about this together. I'm not here to tell you what you're doing wrong and say, go fix it. I'm here to hold your hand, brother. Let's go to God together. And say, I'm struggling with this, Lord. What would you have me do? So the big church, warm, feel-good thing gets them in the door. I think where the ball gets dropped is by the people that just come, sit, listen to the message. Oh, yep, good message, good message, Pastor. Good message. Yep. You're right. Yep. We gotta we gotta feed the hungry. We gotta, yep, all right, I gotta go to work. And then that's it. The door closes behind when we leave church. We get in our car. We turn on our unedifying music. And I'm guilty of that. I listen to some horrible stuff sometimes. And I also listen to some good stuff. But it's our responsibility. So, I don't know. What do you think on that? I think God is love. We go back to First John. We did chapter 4 today. And I'm not going to read it, but I am going to read chapter three. The big thing I have. All of it? No, a a good section. Either way, it doesn't take very long. That's my encouragement to everybody, though. Seriously, you can read a chapter of the Bible every single day. And on average, a chapter won't even take you five minutes to read. Yes, it will. Because reading it does absolutely no good. If you're not going to give it more time than that. Read the words. Take it with you. I agree. Meditate on it. Pray yeah. on it. I can read the whole Bible in Find a week. Find a, well, I couldn't. 
<laughs> I didn't say I'd get a single thing from it. It's words on a paper. True. I'm going to go to First John okay. 3. And let me see here what I want to do. Imperative love, the outworking of love. Sin. Sin. Oh, I'm a child of God. First John 3, verse 4. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So let me let me do my thing here and then we can do yours. This is strong. This is from the apostle of love right here. This is the brother who wanted to rain fire down and destroy the Samaritans. This is from the Holy Spirit. This is from God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Where's the wrath of God in there? I'm asking you, Jim. Oh, uh, that was a rhetorical question. It's Well, it's in the unwritten. I, I For those that love him. What about those that don't? Maybe I've wrath is I've the been, wrong. I've been really, I've been really. Maybe wrath is the wrong word then. No, wrath is the perfect word. Because if you don't love him. Shall not perish. Which means everybody else will. Perish is the wrath of God. That is what. But you said, oh, okay, I get your question. I misread your question. The wrath of God is the word perish. perish. Sure, absolutely. And this was the our family worship this morning was after reading chapter 4, which talks about God is love. When you sit down and read that, it's juxtapositioned. It's the wrath of God juxtapositioned with God is love. Just as the book starts off with God is light and in him is no darkness. Anyone who says they are in God but walks in darkness is a liar. This is where I get... I don't want to say frustrated, but I get very adamant about talking to people about this because there is this mentality of let's just love each other, not taking into account if you're not in Christ, if you're not truly saved, you can't love your anyone to the full extent that they need to be. You can show kindness and gentleness and affection and you can be nice. Can resemble love. Correct. But the love of God is... No greater love is he that who will die for his brother. Yes. We almost all draw that limit. Would you die for me? For you? Yeah, sure. Why not? I would die for anybody 
right now a gunman walks into this yes. library Seriously. and says, in the name of God, which one of you dies? See, then we have to both raise our hand, and it's really awkward. But I agree. It's like the, I would do that. The Black Widow and Hawkeye, where we're <laughs> yeah, both racing <laughs> right. for the edge. Right, I agree. But that's that's the thing. You can't understand God's love if you don't understand God's wrath. Oh, agreed. It's like saying you can't have heaven without hell. There is an opposite. There is a hierarchy, even to the Bible. There is a, you know, I've heard, I've had non-believers go, well, if it wasn't for the devil, God wouldn't be in business, so I'm helping him. And I just want to say you're an idiot. Because really, that you're just, you're damning yourself. But I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, no, you're good. Go for it. I just, um... The thing that I, when you read, when you read what you read, what you read is that's the part that's challenging the world. That's the questions we as believers get that is hard to answer when you talk about, well, if you sin, then you're not really loving God because we all sin. We've all fallen short, right? There's the whole, I can quote scripture, chapter and verse if we need to. But what I think people get so logistic, and that's where I use the word religious instead of logistic, like they're interchangeable for me. Well, I, uh, I, uh, I went drinking and slept with my neighbor's wife and uh, was driving, so I was breaking the law, and so I just, I guess, I'm just going to hell. No, because you're you're misunderstanding the message of grace then, because grace is sufficient for all things, as long as it's not abused. I think that there's a certain point in your heart where God's going to leave you to your own vices and your own choices. But how do you explain to somebody? Like we're sitting here having a great conversation about first John, but just go back to that first part of three. How do you tell somebody it's okay that you're living in sin, but you can't do it because then wait a minute. You're not, there's the wrath because you're living in sin, but you say you love God. So now you're a hypocrite or a Pharisee. How do you balance that out? How do you get somebody to understand 1 John? I think that's going to be a good segue to our next topic, which is sin. Heart fails, 73. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. My goal is to motivate you, as well as everybody else that might be listening to this, to go pick up their Bible to read it, and spend some quality time in the Word of God.